Hey everyone, hope uh, you're doing well. Uh, when it comes to real estate, property inspection is a critical step in the journey. And if you're looking into multi-family apartments where you have many units and a building, then inspecting a property right when you're buying becomes extremely important. And I'm extremely excited to interview Greg Cook, who is a professional property inspector who does a lot of multifamily, but then he also does single family. So in this podcast, we'll dissect what goes into multifamily property inspection. Here's a big question. How do normal individual people who are looking to invest their hard-earned dollars to create wealth for their families using the power of real estate investing? How do we do that in a manner that creates instant short-term cash flow that you can use for your family but also create long-term appreciation and portfolio growth? That is the question. This podcast gives you the answer. My name is Deepak Patel and welcome to Cashing Doors Podcast where we discuss all things multifamily apartment investing. Here I share secrets, what I learned in building a 72 doors cash flow positive portfolio in 18 short months, but more importantly, all the secrets that I'm learning from other people as we are growing our portfolio. Okay, so Greg, uh, welcome to uh, the podcast uh, for Cashing Doors and I'm really excited to have you here today. I know we spent some time, uh, I don't know, maybe like a couple of years back and we spoke some time back as well. And what I do typically in this podcast is uh, it's mainly geared towards, uh, you know, bringing you know, education awareness for, uh, you know, people who are interested in learning about real estate investment. And I'm more specifically focused uh, on multifamily, as you know, mm-hmm. we have built up a portfolio. Um, I know when we met, you, I believe, did my first property, which was a six unit. That's right. And now we have 72 units. So definitely, you know, you know we've grown and we like the business now. and. Uh, we felt that there was a lot of you know, knowledge and education that people didn't have because immediately there was a lot of conception about apartments that people would have. And since I've started to talk about this, I'm getting a lot of uh, you know, interest from people. And the idea of podcast was to uh, you know, share some more information, a little bit more like you know, real-time uh, information in addition to obviously the um, you know, education and coaching uh, that I also have. But mm-hmm. I think this is very helpful. And so I want to thank you for your time uh, to, uh, you know, come and share some of your knowledge. And I know you uh, will talk about that, but I know you spent a fair bit of time in, uh, you know, looking at all kinds of properties, but also, you know, a multifamily apartment. So why don't we just start, uh, you know, by just you, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, what you do and, and you know, what are the areas you focus on? And, and then we'll get into uh, the multifamily. Absolutely. Uh, so I've been in Canada eight years. Um, I've been a property inspector for five of those, uh, close to completing a thousand inspections on all various different types of properties. Uh, I came over, I completed my red seal uh, in construction craft work. Uh, I then uh, started my own home inspection business. Um, I love it. Uh, I love educating people. I love exploring. I love uh, telling them what things are and what my opinion is of them. Right. Um, so, and that's uh, pretty much uh, when we met and uh, we went through it together. And I, I'm glad you found it educational because I believe the role of a home inspector is to educate the clients. 
It's not just to say, oh, that's copper and move on. It's to put it in context and tell them why is copper good, why is aluminum bad, right. uh, and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, again, that was my first uh, uh, inspection that we did. Uh, and I have been through single family inspection. And, and I think we'll talk about the difference between the two. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like, you know, first time it was more, to, to me, it was more of a, you know, standard process that had to follow mm -hmm. and get like a second person's opinion on. Absolutely. And, um, you know, but we didn't, I, I wasn't paying as much attention, to be honest, you know, as we. You nervous. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and to be, it didn't really, like, this happens probably to all the new investors that they didn't, they don't understand the importance right. of stamp. Um, until in my case, later on with other properties, mm -hmm. uh, things went wrong, right? And this happened yeah. and that happens. And then we said, oh, why didn't I look into that? Or why didn't I pay attention to that? Because the timing is very important, right? When you're doing inspection, you're still in the middle of the deal. So you yes. can negotiate something, right? So yeah. to me, like, that's, that's like a learning personally for me making mistakes. Well, you have that, but also what you have uh, and any investor has is that you're normally dealing with the tenants. You're walking into someone's property, right. you're walking into their living area. Right. And they're going to tell you about all the problems they've ever had in that property because they hope that you're going to come and fix them all. So, right. you know, I may be in the corner telling you that the outlets are ungrounded, but then you've got, you know, an aggressive 60-year-old uh, woman who's complaining that she's had a leak in her kitchen for a year. So it is very hard to take in all that information from different sources at once. Right, 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 right. Um, now, in terms of, you know, the inspection, so like how much of your inspection is focused on apartments versus, uh, you know, residents? Like what's the split at a high level? So multifamily, for me, I consider anything duplex and above. Uh, it's about 20%. Okay, okay, perfect. So you do 20% of apartments, right? Yeah. And what are the typical size apartments you have seen? Uh, so it's anything from duplex up to uh, the most I did was a 14 unit apartment 14, okay. down in Chatham, Kent. Um, that was a very interesting one because uh, it was actually owned by a HVAC company. And so every single unit had its own AC unit and its own furnace. Oh, my unit? Yes, your one. <laughs> I think there, like there were 20 units, I believe. It, it, was, it, was, it was big. It was big. Um, and yeah, it, and on the face of it, it looks great. I know. But as you remember, um, a lot of the ACs and furnaces were coming up for renewal. So it's not just one AC and one uh, furnace you're replacing. Times 20. And that was one of the reasons I backed off uh, from the deal. There were a couple of other reasons as well. But I didn't like, uh, as much as, you know, everybody else, uh, obviously the, the seller and everyone was telling me that that was a good thing. Each unit having the, uh, each, uh, you know, a unit, HVAC unit, but the whole idea of multifamily, in my view, is to have the leveraged common area model. Correct. Less items to fix. Absolutely. And there were like 20 or something in that. And, and I, I know, now I know for sure because I have so many units. Yeah. Going through a process right now, we picked up like a 28 units. And it has very, very old appliances. And right. we did that when we bought. And luckily, we were able to you know, put like a financing plan up front with the bank to mitigate some of that. But since we bought in two months, you know, there are appliances that are dying. So they do die. <laughs> and if you predict it. Absolutely. And, and the other thing, you, and you touch upon another important point, um, the listing agent. Right. The listing agent is going to tell you it's fine. Because 
the listing agent is looking after his client, which is the seller. Yeah. And as nice as they are, they're not your friend. Yeah. They're not going to necessarily hang around and take you out for a beer after. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to go into it with a clinical mind. And yeah. when you can get caught up in all the fuss and all the drama, yeah. um, it's good to have someone there that's just focusing on the structure and focusing on uh, all of the wiring and the plumbing and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. uh, I'm biased, you know, I'm, I'm a home inspector. Right. But you would not buy a half a million dollar painting without having someone verify it yet. Yeah. You, know, you, you must get the second opinion. It's... Yeah, it's absolutely crucial. Yeah, and I think in, in my view, like, and I talk about this in all my, uh, you know, content that I put together, is uh, one of the reason I like multifamily, and we probably now we dive more into that now, is the fact that, you know, you're not alone. You know, you've got all these other partners, including, you know, people mm -hmm. like, yeah. who are experts because you've seen more apartments than I have, mm -hmm. right, as an individual investor. Mm -hmm. So getting that you know, opinion and, and, and a point of view protects me from making mistakes. That's, that's how I look at it, right? Because, it, and same applies to the banks and mortgage and appraisal and everything. Uh, in single family home, I think property inspection, I don't think is mandatory unless sometimes it is. Uh, right? You know, I, I, here's the thing, Deepak. One day, I believe the mortgage company is going to make it compulsory. Oh, is it? Okay. Because once home inspectors get licensed, and, and that itself is a podcast for another day. <laughs> sure. But at the moment, no home inspector in Ontario is licensed. The government cannot get its act together. So literally anyone can pick up a flashlight and pretend they're a home inspector. So is there a license program? No. Oh, so there isn't any program? No. I mean, I, I'm certified. I've taken exams. Uh, I pay my insurance every year. I do my continuous training. But literally, anyone can pick up a flashlight and say, I am a home inspector. So you, first of all, you've got to use an accredited guy. Okay? Right. Get someone that has experience and the real qualifications. Number two, um, when you are doing the inspection, uh, it's very important that you actually try and listen to what the home inspector is saying to you. Right. Some things can be very subtle. Um, it's, it's a fact, and this is one of my sayings, that uh, cash cows are scarce and sacred. Not many people are going to sell a property that is making a lot of money and there's nothing wrong with it. Normally, there's a reason that they're selling it and right. you must be prepared to make changes. There are going to be repairs that come up. There are going to be things that are coming to the end of the line and not all of these are going to be clear and they are not going to point them out for you. Of course not. <laughs> After buying eight deals uh, or you know, five deals in eight apartments, um, we know that uh, what happens in the, in the transaction process and you know, it really, you have to do your homework. And, and I think I now just take it at a face value that everything presented to me is false. Yep. And tell you, you must be skeptical. Yeah. My due diligence process is to make that false true and check. But I assume if you said, if an agent or whoever gave me the information, I think everything is garbage and wrong. Yep. Now let's collect information with data and convert that into true. And I think that's, that's an approach that seems to work well. Um, so I think that's, that's true. I think, uh, and you're right, like people are not going to sell properties, um, that may be doing very, very well. There's always reasons. Sometimes it's personal. I've been through some reasons where people sell because of personal situations. They're older and all that, but it's all part of the due diligence. I think you need to check why they are doing what they're doing. And, and you know, a property with 
issues are, you know, it's not a bad thing in my view, right? I mean, it's, it's something you need to be aware and plan. In fact, it could be a good thing as a value add, right? Yep. And, and just going back to what we were saying about, um, you know, will it ever be a mandatory process? Um, I think if licensing comes in for home inspectors, you may see insurance companies saying, we want an inspection because they're going to protect their investment. And there's a lot of stuff that we find on inspections that not necessarily concealed uh, deliberately, but what you may find is um, there's just ignorance. ignorance. You know, a house that was built in the 40s and 50s, uh, it may have asbestos tape all down in the basement, and that tape is now hanging off due to the air pressure. So those fibers are blowing around and getting released. Right. They don't know it's asbestos. Right. That's why you need a trained eye in there. I, I to be honest, I didn't know that too until, um, <laughs> until I think in my second or third property, uh, where I think... Um, I was told that, you know, it is a problematic substance, or at least it used to be a good substance in past in sense of what it did, but yeah. now it's considered dangerous. You know. So very quick lesson, because I know time is limited. Asbestos is a natural mineral that was found in the ground and it has, um, it's basically fireproof and it's very heat resistant. Right. It can be woven, uh, it can be molded, it can be put into concrete, it can be put into cement. It's rot resistant and it was added into properties as a safety feature. It, it stops the house burning down. It lets you and the kids get out. Oh. So it's a wonderful substance in that context. However, what we now know is that when it breaks down, it tends to break down lengthwise. So it gets sharper and sharper. And when you breathe that in over time, you can get a lot of respiratory issues because it basically scars the lining of the lungs. And due to a process that we're still not sure about, um, can cause uh, lung cancer such as mesothelioma. Um, so you've got to be cautious with it. The, the number one rule is if it's not broken, don't touch it. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think I heard that. You know, but unfortunately, sometimes uh, it, if if it's on a duct and it's flapping around, it's probably releasing the fibers. Uh, get a qualified environmental crew in to assess right. it. So when did that thing came in place? When was the... I think there's now... It's regulation. You cannot use asbestos, right? In the uh, so any house built after 1990, 1990 probably doesn't have asbestos. And the reason I say probably is because, unfortunately, the government allowed the builders to use their supplies. Oh, they did? Yeah. So even though there was a cutoff point, if a builder had some, he may have used it. No, it's very unlikely. I've never seen it in a house after 1990. Right. But again, there's no definitive rule here. It has to be checked out. Yeah, and I think in your and you're right. Like you know, in terms of apartments, even the smaller one, most of them were built uh, far back because I think there was there was limitation of how many apartments were allowed to be built in Canada, and I think now they're opening up because of the demand for um, you know multi uh, housing. So you see a lot more apartment out there in the market, and for sure, everything I bought, they were older buildings. Yep. We all had uh, that. So I think it becomes important from an inspection standpoint if you're looking into multifamily uh, apartments. Absolutely. And, and, you know, back in the day, they didn't use materials uh, that they knew were going to cause problems down the line. Right. You know, they, they thought that galvanized steel was going to last forever because of the zinc lining on the inside. Right. They didn't appreciate that it was going to wash away after 70 years. They didn't appreciate that there was going to be problems with knob and tube. You know, that was the first wiring system that was used. Uh, but now the part of the problem is the rubber insulator on the lines is actually breaking down due to age. So those lines are now coming into contact with the wooden joists that they're put through. So 
there are materials that now can cause problems, but they were never put up with the intention that, oh, it's a short-term fix. They genuinely thought that these things would last forever. Right, right. So that's why sometimes someone will say, this house is fine, it was built to the building code of the time. Right. That may be the case, but some of those materials may be causing problems due to unforeseen circumstances. Right, 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 right. Now, um, in, in terms of, you know, all your experience on, you know, inspecting the uh, multi-family, the duplexes and all that, versus the big uh, or single families, like what are the main things that you see are different that, you know, people who are buying uh, properties, like, you know, it, because when people buy multifamily, they're buying it as, as an investment business type thing, right? So different thinking. So what have you seen, you know, or from your perspective, first of all, what is the major difference between the two types of properties, right? Let's start with that first. Yeah, so um, the number one difference is um, when you have a tenant, which is normally what you have in, 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 in multi-apartment units, you have to remember that these people are living under a landlord. So um, they come from different social strata, they come from different income bases. Um, not all of them are going to be responsive to problems in the property. So if there's a small leak in the bathroom, um, you may not hear about it for a year. Um, by that stage, it may have manifested into the mold and it may be eating away at your ceiling. So you've got to be a lot more proactive uh, on, a, on a, uh, a house that I typically do. It's for a family that's going to live there and it's from a family that have lived there. So they're not going to sit in the basement while the water drips on their head. In a multi-unit apartment, um, it may be the guy upstairs has a leak in his toilet and it's coming down to the apartment below. But the guy in the apartment below is never there because he's always around his girlfriends. Uh, so now you're dealing with this problem that has accumulated uh, and has become a lot more costly. So for me, the main thing is neglect. Right. So how, how do you, what is your recommendation to landlord like myself who owns that? Now, of course, logically, we, you know, have our point of view of how can we assess and find, but what would you give as a guidance? Because you do inspection in the beginning. Yeah. Like that's one part when you are there, you can check all this, but what is your suggestion and what have you seen from people? You have to be proactive. You have to make friends with your tenants, um, send them a nice welcoming gift. Um, but in that gift is a basket full of cleaning materials. Uh, encourage them that you're available and that you don't take any reports as uh, oh, I can't believe there's another problem in that place. That you're proactive and you're happy and they feel comfortable in reporting things to you. Um, my advice is just to make friends with them and feel like that whenever there is an issue, you're there to help them, not just to keep your investment in good order. Be proactive. Knock on the door once a month. Um, ask if you can make visits. Ask them if there's any problems. Right. Um, you will not get the response from tenants that you will get from someone living in their own house. Yeah, no, no, I, I think we're starting to do that, right? So every month now we, you know, have an inspection uh, for each unit. Um, and, you know, we go yes. to usually to see what, to, because we've been through all this experience, exactly what you said. Small leak, you know, from the top, the bottom gate doesn't report, big mold issue, you know, yeah. and things like that. And, and then it, you know, mold is another topic, uh, you know, it's a scary um, a topic as well. In terms of how it manifests and how fast it grows and how expensive it is. It is, it is, but the thing with mold is you have to remember that uh, who are the people that normally get asked to come and inspect the mold? Well, it's the mold remediation companies. And, and it's a little bit like taking your car into a second-hand car dealer and saying, my car's playing up, should I have it repaired or should I buy a new car from you? 
they have an interest in yeah. uh, removing everything right worth their while so an example of that is um I was approached by a client. He had uh, a mold remediation company come in. Yeah. Uh, they had a look at the, the bathroom, which had a, a little bit of mildew in the corners, and they advised ripping it all down, ripping down all of the drywall and starting again. My advice, fix your bathroom fan. They emailed me six months later. Thanks, Greg. That 300 fix stopped us spending 3000 Right. So common sense, in, especially in the multi-unit apartments where uh, – a lot of the kitchen fans are original. They're from the 1950s. Half of them are not working. Right. Invest in those fans. They will get the grease and the moisture out of the kitchens. Right. In the bathroom, a lot of them don't have mechanical venting. They just have basically a tube that goes all the way up. Yeah. Um, look at getting some ventilation in there. Natural ventilation is always better than mechanical because of the breakdowns. But you need some ventilation in there. It's a short-term investment for a long-term gain. So what do you mean by natural ventilation? Just like windows? or so Just just like the design of the area, um, keeping doors open, um, making sure that there's like a, a half an inch gap underneath the doors so the air can circulate around. Okay. Um, and also a lot's gonna depend on what sort of heating system you have. You may have a boiler system, so uh, you have to be especially vigilant that there is an airflow going around the property because that house will have been designed uh, perhaps to be more airtight than right. a modern home. Um, mold can only grow if it has a source of moisture, something to eat, uh, and uh, what's the third one? Is it like airflow or something? No, it's uh, something to eat. Uh, oh, and oxygen, which is everywhere. You can't control the oxygen. You can't control it eating because it, it eats everything. It's the moisture. So if you can control that moisture or you can vent that moisture out, you control mold growth. Right. Okay. No, I think that, yeah, that's definitely, we had some experience uh, in uh, our properties with mold uh, just because of negligence from previous guys and we didn't know and all that. So it's really part of the, I think, process of you know, learning how to deal with all those issues. So now we take a lot of these things very seriously. So in your recent experience, uh, are you seeing like more uh, demand for multifamily, more people are getting into that? Tell me more about the types of people that are getting into multifamily, like more of a profile of investors, if you will. Yeah, so um, I have five repeat clients who entrust me to inspect their multi-unit apartments here in the London and surrounding areas. Um, out of the five, three are from Toronto. Um, the other two are from outer province. So to me, it's not, um, at least from my uh, experience, it's not local people getting into it. And, uh, and are you seeing more newer people getting into or the same people like me who have apartments and buying more? Uh, I would probably say that everyone that comes into it is looking to build a portfolio. Everyone has a plan. Everyone's read a book. Um, and, they're all, and there are a couple of people that, that I go and do the inspection for that don't even see the property. They literally rely on my report as to whether they feel comfortable in buying it or not. And that's a big responsibility. Right. Um, but once you build up that trust, right. um, people tend to go with you, as, as you know. Right. So uh, what's the, uh, the typical profile? Um, I would say sort of uh, mid-20s to early 40s. Okay. Uh, professional in another trade, uh, looking to get into investing. So, yeah, that's exactly the kind of uh, you know, you know, view I have too, based on you know, when I started, I was working as well. And, um, you know, 
what I have seen is there's more demand now, like more people want to buy and there's less properties being sold. I got a couple of offers from a London property, the one you inspected. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm not looking to sell, obviously, but uh, okay. more people want to get into the space now. And I think one of the reasons I'm starting this is also to bring education. Um, it's not just a single housing that is an opportunity, in, you know, from an investment standpoint, from, you know, getting return. There's a little bit more headache, if you will, uh, on multifamily. You need to do certain things, like, you know, all the inspections and everything you mentioned. Absolutely. Those things is part of the game. Mm-hmm. But, but I think long term, the returns are or not even long term, even short term, you know, the returns are, are good if you are able to control all this thing, right? And, yeah. uh, and that's another good point. You have to be realistic. Um, you're going to attract some tenants that perhaps have some issues. Depending where the property is, it's going to be open to the local population. And, you know, I can tell you, I've been in places where um, there was a guy and he completely wallpapered all of the walls in pornographic material. There was another guy that was a hoarder and he kept uh, bottles of his urine by the window and he, it was actually in shades. Right. It doesn't matter about who you want to be friends with. What matters is if that person is actually looking after the place right. and is paying the rent. Those two people had been in those properties for 20 plus years. They've never missed a payment. So does that make them a good tenant or a bad tenant? Would you rather it was a con man that leaves the place looking immaculate, but only pays you the first and last, and then you're taking them to court to get rid of them? Right. You're a landlord. You're not everyone's friend. You know, and you have to accept that everyone needs to live somewhere. Right. So a lot of that is just getting into the mindset of, um, it's a different approach. It's not my family home that I'm renting out to someone. Right. It's, it's there for people to live in. And as long as they don't trash the place, then I can live with that. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, tenant, uh, dealing with tenant is, is a completely different uh, issue. I mean, it is a, it can be complex, but to your point earlier, using common sense and, you know, some basic stuff, you know, you can do quite well in terms of interacting and dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's a new skill set. If, if you're only used to going to an office nine to five, it's a new skill set. And that's one of the things I find, to be honest, and this is more of me and my way of looking at it. But what I also like about multifamily is that you build all the skill sets to your point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that actually can help you a lot. Like from, for personally for my wife, and she started getting into it. Now she runs all my properties. Okay. In the beginning, you know, <laughs> she was like, "You're a brave man." Okay, <laughs> was, you know how humans are, right? Uh, you know, when you see a problem, they get a little scared. And when oh, yeah. she saw some, uh, you know, tenants or the way certain problems were coming, uh, you know, she was freaking out pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, so I, the, my process is is the way. This is how I buy property, right? So I don't take her first time to go see a property because if I take her, then I'll never buy any property. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so. But now after dealing with issues and working with people, it really has improved a lot of skills mm-hmm. and confidence. And now when an issue comes, she's much more relaxed in terms of dealing with the problem, you know, very different way of interacting with the, you know, all the contractors and tenants. Yes. So, you know, you, you develop so much as an individual versus, uh, you know, an investment that you have it in stocks or something where you won't even know to be That's honest. Right know what it is right so yeah it's for people who are willing to do that a lot of people don't like any problems so i tell people that multifamily just like any investment is not for everybody correct 
So if you can't deal with, you know, asbestos problem or, you know, any, you know, carbon monoxide issues that you might run into, which we ran into, by the way, as well, with the boiler breakdown, you know, it's a property, right? The beauty of real estate is you can hold it. The problem with holding it, it can break. <laughs> you know yes. No, and that's, and that's a very good point. Um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes people put every penny they have <clears throat> into the down payment. And then you do the inspection and, 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 and their faces go white as a ghost. And they're like, what, what do you mean we need a new boiler? You know, well, this boiler is 65 years old. Well, we don't have any money. What are you going to do if it breaks and your tenants are now in the, in the cold in December and they have children and babies? I have heard that. This is your responsibility now. This is your legal responsibility. It always breaks in winter, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so people need to be realistic. And I don't know if you've covered it before, but what's your stance on using agents to buy? Is that something that you encourage or do you encourage a more independent approach? So, yeah. So I'm definitely bringing another agent on podcast tomorrow. Um, okay. So my approach really is I have found... You know, not many agents really understand this game. Mm -hmm. Very few do. So my experience really has been to not, you know, work with a lot of agents. Okay. Because uh, their level of knowledge was lesser than mine when it came to buying properties. But that's not to say that there are not many agents who knows this. Because I have spoken to some agents who predominantly does multifamily for the last 20 years. Right. That's a lot of experience now, right? If you have that. So it's... Just like I'm sure the same thing applies for uh, you know single family as well. There are so many agents out there. Even though they have licensing, it's so easy to get, I believe. So in my view, like you know, you want to hire an agent or anybody for that matter, if if they are adding value, if they have experience, they're not just you know talking. Because my one of my first multifamily deal that was in Gananoque in Ontario, that was nine unit uh, converted home. This was before the one I bought. Yep. In London. And I lost that deal. But I remember I had hired a, a, a representing agent. So there was an agent listing and then there was an agent representing. When it came time to inspection, so I had a local inspector. And then um, and I went to see the place. But the agent didn't show up, right? So the agent wasn't even there. The agent would not see the property with you because it was a bit of drive. So... All he was doing was communicating, getting information from the other agent, which I can do it as well. Okay. So for me, like, you know, there's no point in having agents like that. So right now, my, my personal philosophy is very simple. And I've been connected with a lot of agents. And if they can bring deals to me, perfect. And they're adding value and then I can, they can represent me. No problem. But otherwise, if I find a deal, then I feel comfortable. And I'm not saying everybody should do this thing. But I personally feel comfortable buying it from the listing agent uh, okay. and, and taking the risk of he not being as transparent to me, but because I trust data, right? I, I have all the due diligence processes, so I don't need so much of guidance. In fact, I haven't worked with an agent who owns more property than I do now. Okay. So I should be knowing more based on that, right? So my situation is different, but if you're a new person getting in, I would get all the help required, but you know, you don't want to get help from, agents that are lazy or they don't want to show up. And there are unfortunately many of those. Mm -hmm. um, I think my experience with home inspections and all has been pretty good. Um, on home inspector appraisal, uh, pretty good mortgage people as well. Yeah. So these are people that, 
your hit ratio is very very high and and there is no alternative like i don't go and inspect my own building it's not something i do right it's and and also the cost of home inspection is not terribly high no right? i mean you're talking about what a hundred thousandth of the price yeah you know, 600 yeah. bucks you know and if by the way if the home inspector is offering an infrared get the infrared right the infrared scan is what shows us if there are leaks that haven't yet come through the plaster right. um, and we uncover a lot of stuff with that camera it really is beneficial with a, a multi-unit place but uh, no no I take on board what you say and I think again uh, and I declare my bias here if you're not having a buyer agent uh, please make sure you at least get a home inspection yeah uh, there is there is so much going on in those apartments and I think as you know and we touched upon it earlier the first time buyer is going to be bombarded they're going to walk into that place. They may have the listing agent there. Uh, every time they open the door, there's going to be someone, dogs barking, cats running around, uh, children screaming. And the tenant, you know, they may not be in the best of moods. They may have worked a night shift and you're kicking them out of bed. Yeah. So it's good to have someone that can just carry on to do the stuff while you're, you know, corresponding with them. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, as I said, like a you know, home inspection for me has been like a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in fact the first step right in the entire daily process for me like as soon as I buy or put an offer the very first step is to do an inspection before the appraisal comes in yeah because the cost of appraisal is like always slightly higher I believe than inspection yeah and they work for like 20 minutes no that's not true, that's not true. <laughs> they, they actually go, they go home and they spend a lot of time researching price. Them, uh, as well on the, on the podcast as well um, I do like uh, some of the appraisal report because um, it has a lot of uh, the analysis of the area locations and all that. And I actually read those reports and I found them to be very educational from global uh, perspective, like macro, right? I mean, inspection is very micro for the property, which is good. And the other one is like location area, the price is right or not, right? So that's one thing that they provide, right? Is the price fair, what they're asking. Yeah, no, and, and I and I just there's a lot of uh, I know a lot of uh, good appraisers out there. We we bump into each other, and I, and I think that's good because they give you a different context, right? They come their information and their expertise comes from a different area, right. um, whereas we're more focused on what's in that property, what's the material, what's the condition. Right. So, and I think the more information you have is better. I also think um, again touching on finances, these are prices that you should be willing to pay. To learn whether it's worth your while investing. I agree. You know, it, it, to some people, oh, it's a thousand bucks for the appraiser and the home inspector. Okay, but you're you've got half a million in the bank. So I, let's be realistic here. I, I I agree with you. I did a podcast yesterday on this topic of uh, you know willing to invest because uh, I, I say if you can't write checks, please don't get into multifamily investment or any investment for that matter, but specifically any real estate investment, you will have to write checks mm -hmm. along the way and you shouldn't be thinking. You have to have the guts. Of course, you, you want to be reasonable. You don't want to write a $50,000 check for you know, something, but you will have to pay many people before you own the property and even longer before you start to get returns from the property. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, if, and, and, I personally never had that question when I was buying the deal. I was, I knew this was the cost to do business, and because you know I've had other businesses, and you are a business owner, so you understand as a as an owner of business, it's yeah. easy for us. But to your point, if most people are professionally 
employed and working and buying properties, they may think twice and you're right. And I'm sure you probably have had some clients who didn't use your service after calling because they thought well, it was too much. But if you can't, yeah. don't get into it, right? That's the simple advice because, you know, even after you buy, something will break. You will write check again. Always, always. And that's a very good point. So sometimes there's something that is just, um, like, you know, I've done ones where, where the roof is leaking and, and there was moisture coming in. The, it was actually the, the, the child's bedroom. And it was bubbling up under the paint, and it was, you know, we're talking, uh, it was at least 17,000, I think the quote was. Uh, and the guy walked away. He's like, I just haven't got that money at the moment. Walked away. That's good. Yeah. The second one gets into it with more a moral or ethical dilemma. So, um, what do you do when you find that your duplex has a lead water supply? Um, you're not living there. You're under no, and I, I'm not a lawyer, but I believe you're under no legal obligation to disclose this to your tenants. But you know lead's not good for you. Right. What do you do if one of your tenants is pregnant? Yeah. It's about six grand to change that line. You can put a filtration system on, but then that's a running cost every month that you're going to have to pay. Right. What do you do? It's ethical. You're now the landlord. Uh, you know it's a six grand comment you're going to make. Right. But can you sleep at night? This is, these are the things, as I'm sure you know, yeah. uh, that crop up from time to time. Do you want to be a slum landlord? Do you want to just pack people in and let the place fall to bits? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and unfortunately, there are many landlords like that. And most of the people we brought properties from, in yes. they bought, um, they, they, have, they are like that, right? Like, you know, a lot of people. And, and, and it's, it's I, I have to, you know, admit that it is a bit of work to manage properties. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of work then, you know. That's why we manage our properties because I don't think any property management can do what is required at the cost that you know the market expects mm -hmm. them to be charging, which is six percent or eight percent, and it's a little bit more work than six eight percent. So, and, and I think there are a lot of people who don't manage their property and become slumlords to your point, because it's just difficult to do. Um, but to me, and what I've been talking about is, if you are willing to do the work, and I've been extremely clear that this is not a no passive investment business. This is a part-time investment is how I frame it. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity then, right? Like all those are opportunities. Somebody is managing it poorly, then I can buy it much cheaper. Yeah. The guy will get rid of it because it's a problem for them. And now this is an opportunity for me. And like, for example, the London building that you, uh, you inspected both the buildings. Mm -hmm. We turned around the whole thing, you know, in, in within a year, like all good tenants now, People who actually pay rents, yeah. And, uh, and there's always one or two that are a little bit misbehaving, if you will. Uh, but we got 12 units, and we charged the top rent, and we just got refinanced, and the value just went up hundred thousand dollars within a year. Nice, right? Nice. And it's just a little bit of work. So yes, when you have that thousand dollar cost or two thousand dollar issue, that happens. But if you look at the bigger picture. You know what can come out of it is like a hundred grand appraisal within a year, which is not typical. But you know, if you work and put value and pay attention, which we do, um, those people do very well. I think you know that's why we created a company to manage our properties. Mm -hmm. And that's you know, for for me, I think to your point about the real estate agent, I think I'm okay with people working with agents. No problem there as long as the agents are knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. 
I can't really say that for property management yet. You know, I'm, I'm more of a hardcore guy that you should manage your property, specifically if you're getting into it. And if you have a small portfolio, like a six unit, it's not very difficult to manage six units. Yeah. To do it. I made a mistake by hiring crooked people to do that and litigation problems. Um, so as long as the portfolio is not super big that you can't manage without leaving your job, you know, six unit, 12 unit is no big deal. Mm -hmm. You should be able to manage. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it. But, you know. So the question for you, when you have someone out of province. Yes. What's the solution there? So I have now one out of province property. So I'm okay. in that boat, right? So I have property right now in New Brunswick, Moncton. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's way out of province. It's way out of few provinces. Um, so the model that we have been using, which is very logical model, is we have local people, superintendent. Mm -hmm. and, and after testing few different approaches, and this is still continuing, we're constantly testing ideas and strategies. Mm -hmm. Uh, what we found initially was we started with in-house superintendent living in the building. Yeah. We, it worked okay in the beginning, but after some time that models started to fall apart for many reasons, you know, they were getting disturbed by the people or sometimes, you know, they were getting sloppy and you know, all that. Right. So now pretty much in all my building, I have a non-resident local superintendent. So for our okay. property, I have found, luckily in that city, I found an amazing guy who have experience managing properties, uh, who doesn't live in the building, but very capable person. And my wife runs the show from here. So we have centralized operations. When I say that, I mean rent collections to finding, you know, contractors, we build relationship, all that. Mm -hmm. Local people are pretty much eyes and ears on the feet. So they are there to be meeting the contractor that we hire. Uh, they take the videos, they take the photos. I go there every month. So for okay. me, you travel every month to see the property at a minimum. Yes. And you have a local person that you're speaking every freaking day. Right? It's, and it works pretty well for us. Um, you know, and that's something, uh, I don't know how other people are doing it, but uh, I'm trying to find more um, you know, landlords as well to interview them, to learn from them and share. But uh, so far, I think this is what we have been able to figure out. And uh, it it's generally works pretty well. Because it seems to me a little bit of a paradox because normally like we open this conversation saying that people that live in their own homes tend to care more for it because they live there. Yet I've also found that when the super lives in the building, um, they tend to not look after it as much. Um, and it's a bit of a paradox. It's, I don't know whether they just get lazy or uh, they feel like no one will know what they're doing or they can do it at the last minute when no one uh, is watching. Yeah, I think it's, it just goes back to, you know, the historical thing, right? So what I have found is, you know, in properties if, that when you buy that has an in-house superintendent, not a good idea to, to have them. Now, logically, short term, you want to have them because they have some knowledge and it's new for you. Right. But long term, most of the time what happens is when you buy property, you will find that the previous owner wasn't managing well. Mm. That happens. Sometimes it is, you have a different style, they had a different style, you had different tolerance for problem, whatever the reasons are, you will not match the way they were managing it. And if the superintendent was working for them, then they were kind of part of the problem to some degree. Interesting. And, and so, so in that model, I think it doesn't work for us. So you bringing new person, yes, and putting it in the building probably would be okay because the person has brand new 
ideas, no past historical things. So and no connection to the other tenants. Yeah, and but that 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 is another problem, right? Like mm -hmm. the moment people start living in, they, they they start talking to other people, and then they have preferences for this tenant versus the other tenant. Right. That becomes a problem, right. right? And then you have a tenant pissed off at you with no knowledge to you. It's because the super is not super nice to them or extra nice to other people. Okay. Yeah. So, so I like super who come in and out as a job, no hard feelings, no attachment to the property and it seems to be working quite well. I've tested it for last eight months. Um, and for us, that's working quite well. Okay. Well, it's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I guess any, any final thoughts, I guess uh, I don't want to take too much of your time, but this has really been helpful. And uh, I think uh, definitely we'll do more of these sessions. And uh, as I was telling you, like, you know, as we go through the program, and I do want to start having some, you know, in-person educational tour as well, or, you know, sessions and, you know, having people like you come and educate people about, you know, show them the property or whatever. Uh, Absolutely. And, and that would, I mean, I've got a final few points. Number one is, um, one of the questions here was what to look for. And my answer is to look for good home inspector. Um, Deepak will pull up the uh, information at the end, but uh, there's a CAPI which is the Canadian Association of Home and Property Inspectors and the Professional uh, Home and Property Inspectors of Canada. Both have approved lists of guys that are qualified that will come and inspect your home or investment property. And then lastly, um, I just want to talk about fire, uh, the fire marshal. Uh, fire marshal is God, effectively. Uh, he overrules everyone. He overrules the building code. He overrules me. Uh, a lot of the time he overrules the building inspectors. Be prepared that even when you buy a property that conforms to the building code, if the fire marshal comes for his inspection, uh, he may want you to make changes. He may want you to put a sprinkler system in. He may want you to change the drywall for the newer uh, fire-resistant drywall. Um, check the fire certificate. Um, I've had situations where the sellers have produced a fire certificate from eight years ago. It's no good. It's not worth the paper it's written on. Uh, the fire code changes every year, so you must get an up-to-date fire um, That was really the main one. I just wanted to get across. Good point, because uh, you're right, you know, we are now running into that problem. So all the buildings we had to hire fire uh, inspectors to do that. Because, uh, you know, we ran into this uh, carbon monoxide issue in, in a London property. Yes. Mechanical breakdown, nothing happened. A brand new boiler. Uh, right. right. What are you going to do, right? And And that led to, obviously, all the... You know, fire guys coming in and all that. And, and that, how were they? How did you find it? Well, I think they were good in terms of interacting. Obviously, they gave me a bunch of list of things to do, which costed me money, but I had no option to do it, and we did it, right? So we're just waiting for the door to come now, a fire-resistant door, but uh, the drywalling thing that you mentioned and all that. Uh, and that, again, lesson learned. Uh, you know, we're like, okay, so well, we should have checked all this thing before. And as we buy more property, and this is the thing, like, you know, I, I talk about this, it's, it's a journey, right? You're learning constantly. And that's what I personally like about it, because now I'm more educated. So if I buy a new deal tomorrow, these are the checklists. So I'm updating my checklist all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's more of, to be aware, to your point, like, you know, if you know, fire marshals uh, think is very, very important. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize uh, that they can override anything, <laughs> which is interesting to hear. Yes. Um,
interested in learning more about multifamily investing then go to my site cashingdoors.com and get a free masterclass or a free course and many other useful resources that will help you begin your multifamily journey.